0: On April 12, 1861, a horrific civil war broke out in the United States. By the time it was over, roughly 620,000 people had died, leaving many spouses widowed and many children orphaned. It's hard to put yourself in their shoes and imagine just how abundant that grief was. Almost every American had a friend or relative that marched off to war and never returned. Losing someone like that left many people longing to see their deceased loved ones again. I mean, can you blame them? So that's where William Mumler stepped in. William Mumler is considered the father of spirit photography, and he made a business out of reconnecting people with their lost family members. By utilizing a special camera in his studio, Mumler was able to take a picture of the living and guarantee that the dead would be present in the developed photograph. His most notable work? A shot of a woman and her newly deceased husband, President Lincoln. While Mummler was eventually debunked, a supposed more plausible form of spirit photography developed. Spectral orbital photography. I'm sure most of us are familiar with these Semi transparent floating orbs seen in photos taken by ghost hunters and paranormal investigators. Supposed spirits from the other side. Or maybe just some dirt on the lens. That's the problem with using technology to capture the ethereal. So many factors can go wrong. But what if we removed the camera? What if there was no lens to catch the dirt? or flash to backlight it. What if what you saw, you saw with your own two eyes? Would you believe it then? Could a ball of light floating in the dark turn a skeptic into a believer? My name is Aaron Sauerland, and this is Campfire Stories. Hey everyone, thank you for joining me around the fire. Tonight will be a small break from form because I want to do something that I should have done in the first episode. Introduce myself. I was so excited to get this show up and running that I never gave you all an opportunity to know your host. And of course I can't deny the fact that I want to tell my own campfire story as well. As you all know, my name is Aaron Sauerland. I was born in Northern Illinois, amongst forests and cornfields. Pat Adamek does a pretty good job describing that area. So if you haven't listened to episode 101 and you wanna get a feel of what Northern Illinois is like, just make sure to check that out. So I got into writing at a young age, thanks to my dad. Uh, He was an avid storyteller and my mom was an artist and creative in her own right. Much of my childhood was spent going camping or taking trips to old historic towns across the United States. So because of that, history has always kind of fascinated me, almost as much as my love for horror. My father had an undying love for Halloween and uh, a super youthful spirit, and uh, it created such an impression on me. Growing up, he would improvise all of these ghastly bedtime stories to my brothers and I. Um, All kid-friendly horror, of course. But um, they'd be things like stories of a reanimated mummy chasing a little gray-haired old man around. Um, And as kids, we loved it. We'd ask for new ones, day or night, and he'd always tell us. So It's rather funny that here I am 30 years later, sitting around a fire, recounting tales of horror. Clearly, my upbringing had some sort of impact on me so now I live in Los Angeles with my girlfriend and my adorable cat when I'm not orchestrating all the stuff for this podcast I work as a writer, director and script supervisor on film and television as a writer my writing partner and I currently have two projects in development a spooky kids animated show and a family adventure story so hopefully the future will hold some great news for those projects uh, specifically once the writer's strike is over And that's basically me in a nutshell. I don't want to bog down the episode with too much about myself. Um, It's never really been what the show's about. I just wanted to introduce myself so you have an idea of who you're spending time with every other month. And so with that out of the way, let's get down to the frights. I'm gonna take you guys over to Barrington, Illinois and tell you the story of White Cemetery and the legend of the Burning Cabin. The story of White Cemetery is set along an infamous roadway simply called Cuba Road. And everyone in northern Illinois has heard the stories about Cuba Road. It's probably the most notoriously haunted location in the entire state. Strange and unsettling events have been occurring along this road for over a century. Vanishing hitchhikers like the infamous Resurrection Mary, hook-handed murderers, abandoned asylums, and disappearing police officers, which is honestly one of my favorite stories. I mean, if I were to recount all the stories I heard growing up about Cuba Road, I could probably fill like three or four episodes. And uh, if that's something that you guys are all interested in, just let me know. I can always circle back later on in the season. Maybe do a Halloween special just on Cuba Road. Anyway, so Cuba Road is famous for its ghostly tales. And when you see it, you kind of understand why. It's this long, windy stretch of road in Barrington. It's like, I don't know, six miles or like eight or nine kilometers for people not in the U.S. But it goes up and down. Uh, It's really hilly, and it winds through these wooded areas, and, and there's marshes on both sides of the road at times. And what made this road so eerie growing up was even in the middle of the day, it tends to be so dark. And that's mainly because it's almost completely canopied by trees. I mean, you're unable to see the sky most of the time because the trees have grown over the road so much. So Cuba Road tends to be very ominous and unsettling. And at night, all of those gnarled trees block out even the moonlight and the stars. So if you drive down Cuba Road at night, you're really just relying on your headlights to see what's in front of you. And again, because of the hills, that's usually not very far. So now that you guys kind of have an idea of what Cuba Road is like, we can get on down to the story. If you drive along Cuba Road, about a third of the way into your trip, you'll come upon this tiny little cemetery. You can almost miss it if you're not paying attention. It's barely the size of a football field. And there's a traditional metal fence that separates it from the road, and there's one single light above the gate. So this is White Cemetery, and it's a paranormal hotspot. People have seen full-figure apparitions, floating orbs, heard voices, all kinds of creepy things at White Cemetery. But the story I want to tell you about has more to do with the land that the cemetery is built on. In the early 1800s, there was a man and his wife, and they lived in a cabin on the land behind where the cemetery stands today. They enjoyed solitude, and they loved each other, and for the most part, they just lived off the land. But sometimes the man would head into town, and this would be like a day-long journey. He'd wake up before dawn, set out for the day, and then come back late at night. So think about what I said about how dark Cuba Road is. By the time this man was traveling back home, he was venturing through the thick woods and the swampy marsh in pitch darkness. So to help him find the cabin, the wife would hang a lantern on the porch and light it at sunset. That way, in the dark, he'd be able to see the orange glow in the distance and know he was close. And she'd be there waiting for him Well, as the story goes, one winter day, he set out to go to town, and his wife waved to him as he left, and she watched him disappear into the white wilderness. And when it got dark, the wife hung the lantern and tried to stay awake to greet him when he returned. But hours went by, and he never showed. She didn't know that her husband got turned around and lost in the snow. He'd been wandering for hours, unable to recognize any of his usual landmarks. And it wasn't until about midnight that he finally spotted the orange glow in the distance. He was relieved, overjoyed. Finally, he'll be able to scoop up his wife in his arms, kiss her, and turn in for the night, and this whole nightmare will be over. But as he approached the cabin, the orange glow grew brighter and brighter and a weight of unease grew in the pit of his stomach. He quickened his pace, and as he pushed his way around a thicket, he finally got a clear view of the cabin, and his joy turned to horror. The lantern must have fallen off of its post and crashed onto the porch. The entire cabin was ablaze. The man tried to get in and save his wife, but it was futile. And so he watched, as the cabin burned to the ground in front of him. His wife, somewhere inside. So years passed, the man moved away, and civilization built up in the surrounding area. White Cemetery was established on the empty land, and the man's story became legend. Now, if you make your way down Cuba Road, and find yourself in front of White Cemetery, close to midnight, and you hop the gate or trek through the woods surrounding the cemetery, and you head towards the back and look out into the forest beyond. You may just see the orange glow of the cabin out there in the darkness, a sign that the wife is still there, waiting for her husband to return. I had a pretty incredible experience at White Cemetery with my friends when we were freshmen in college. I think it was October and uh, my buddies and I were hanging around trying to come up with something to do. I don't remember how it came about but one of us brought up Cuba Road and this is kind of like a common thing in the northern suburbs. Um, Someone brings it up usually when you're hanging out uh, late at night, obviously. But uh, usually it comes and goes in passing and that's it. It doesn't often lead to anything more than talk but that night we decided to actually go so we grabbed a digital camera some fresh batteries loaded up in the car and we drove down i remember as we turned onto cuba road that the mood shifted almost immediately and you can't really help it there's just something about that road the darkness or the isolation it's just very unsettling so we drove slowly in almost silence looking for the gates of the cemetery to appear and when it finally did we were bummed because the gate was closed the cemetery is always closed after sundown but we were hoping that there wouldn't actually be a physical gate blocking us so we pulled over just beyond the cemetery and kind of debated what to do I mean we drove all the way down here (laughs) we might as well get out and take a look snap some photos and whatnot. And so we climbed out, we crossed the street, and we headed toward the cemetery. And what happened next, I honestly will never forget because it was just a series of insane, mysterious things happening pretty much all at once. As soon as we got across the street and up along the cemetery fence, my digital camera started freaking out. The flash was firing off like crazy. It was like bam, 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 like super erratic. Uh, One of my friends looked back to see what I was doing, um, but obviously like I wasn't the one doing it. And so I tried to turn the camera off and back on again, but all of a sudden it was dead, like it just black screened. Uh, I couldn't get it to do anything. And so as I'm telling this to one of my friends, I hear my other buddies say, no way. And so we look up and we're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, what's up? And we follow his gaze and I kid you not, the gate to the cemetery is standing wide open. Now I know for a fact that that gate was closed when we drove by because we all saw it <laughs> so clearly that we pulled over and debated just driving back home. So that flipped our stomachs pretty much instantly. But we went ahead and approached the opening to the cemetery and we're all abuzz. We're trying to figure out what to do. I kept telling them, let's go in, we gotta go in. And as I'm saying that, I noticed something on the back side of the cemetery, just beyond the back fence. It's a soft orange glow of light. And it was small, almost like a lantern light. And I knew right away what it was. Do you guys see that? I said, that's the light. Oh my God, we're actually seeing the cabin light. And as soon as they saw it, headlights came over the hill on Cuba Road directly toward us. So at this point, we freak out. We don't want it to look like we're vandals or that we broke into the cemetery or anything, but our car was across the street and down So we couldn't just climb back into our car. And that other car was coming so fast. So we panicked and we did the only thing that we could do to avoid being seen. We ran into the cemetery. I ducked behind a large tree on the east side and my other two friends hid behind some gravestones and the car blew on by. I have no idea if it was a cop doing a patrol or someone who lived off the road or someone just cutting across town. But as soon as it was gone, we all three took off running. <laughs> the sound of our tennis shoes clopping on the pavement is forever burned into my memory. We, um, we darted into the car and got the hell out of there. <laughs> Once we turned off of Cuba Road, we started cracking up. None of us could really believe how fast we just ran out of that cemetery. And uh, the mood, you know, lightened and returned to normal. Just a group of friends that got a good scare at White Cemetery. And so on the way back, we spun through a McDonald's to get a quick bite. And as we're in the drive-thru, I take out the digital camera again and I start messing with it. As soon as I push the power button, the thing turns on right away. It's as if it hadn't been acting up at all. And I'm like, what the hell could have caused that? I I remember thinking that. And so I aimed it at one of my friends, and I snap a photo of him in the driver's seat. Seems to work fine. And so I go through the camera roll on the camera, and there's a bunch of washed-out photos from the cemetery. So for some reason, the camera just shot off, like, 15 photos unprompted and then momentarily died, and only when we were at White Cemetery on Cuba Road. And then I got to the last photo on the roll and I still have this photo today and it's the photo of my buddy driving the car while we're in the drive-thru and for some reason I don't know if it's the lighting or the angle or who knows what but his face was kind of bloated and looked tired and haggard and And this is a guy who has a pretty chiseled, visible bone structure, so like, when I'm saying bloated, it's it's just very out of character for him. I have no idea what would have caused this, but a piece of me can't help but think that the weird effect, whatever possessed this camera to fire off or shut down back at the cemetery, had an effect on my friend in that photo. Almost like some goosebump story. Like, say cheese and die, or something like that. And so that was our experience with White Cemetery. And that would be the end of the story, but the following week, I couldn't help but replay the night in my mind. I kept thinking about seeing that orange glow back there, in the dark forest surrounding the cemetery. Did we really see that? The Tale of the Burning Cabin is one of the most famous ghost stories of Cuba Road. Is it really possible that we went there and just happened to see it? Is it that common of an occurrence? So in the brightness of daylight and several days later, I I started theorizing ways to kind of disprove it. I mean, how could it really have happened? There's no way. So I settled kind of on on this, uh, this thought of, you know, there are several roads cutting off of Cuba Road, and there are some houses back there. So the orange light we saw in the dark could have easily just been like a light in someone's backyard or, or maybe something planted on top of a fence to mark the edge of a, of a boundary line against the woods. I mean, it, it's so dark back there at night, we couldn't see much other than the glow itself. So to further kind of convince myself that there was no way we saw this famous spectral light I went on to Google Maps and I pulled up a top-down view of White Cemetery. And this was the moment that I finally kind of accepted what happened to us. That what we saw that night was true. The gate suddenly opening, the camera going off, the mysterious orange glow in the back of the woods. Because when I pulled up Google Maps and looked... There were no houses behind White Cemetery. There aren't any houses even remotely in the area behind it. Now there's nothing but forests and marsh and the orange glow of a lantern to guide a lost soul home. Thanks for joining me around the fire once again. I hope you enjoyed this episode. My introduction was long overdue, and I wanted to share my own campfire story. But next episode will be a return to form with a new guest and a new story from a new state. If you've been enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate the podcast and or write a short review. It helps others find us and makes the show more likely to pop up when people are browsing new podcasts. And if you're looking for a way to support Campfire Stories podcast, I've added a link in the show notes where you can do just that. It's very easy to do. There's no fees and you don't even have to sign up for anything, Uh, but any amount helps and it makes it easier for me to dedicate more time to the show. Tonight's charity shout out is very important and close to home. It's the Entertainment Community Fund. If you haven't heard, the entertainment industry is facing a major crisis as studios refuse to fairly compensate the writers whose work they are profiting from. The 11,500 human beings that represent the Writers Guild of America are currently on strike, and in turn productions have halted across the country. This results in more than 168,000 film and TV crew members out of work, bringing the total number to almost 200,000 people unemployed because of the corporate greed of major studios your contribution to the Entertainment Community Fund will go right to work in supporting programs that foster stability and resiliency and provide a safety net for performing arts and entertainment professionals over their lifespan. If anyone has questions or wants to educate themselves on the details of what's going on and how the writer's battle has been a storm on the horizon for almost a decade, you can follow the link in the show notes to the WGA Strike page. This episode of Campfire Stories was produced by me, Aaron Sauerland, with music by Brandon C. Stanley. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Stories underscore podcast to keep up with new episode drops and more exclusive content.